Man, it is good to be back home. The prodigal son returns, eh? It is good to be back here with my family at the Lakeside Church of Christ. I am honored and, and proud to be amongst your ranks and, and encouraged to see that, that in my absence, that in large part we've only grown in faith and in number and strength and in the Lord. And, and I'm so encouraged by that and so excited to be able to break the bread of life with you and to speak from the Word of God and to look within it to see that the things that are within it are absolutely true, that they come down from heaven. And, and in such fashion, what, what will benefit you the most in this time is that you'll open up your Bible and that you'll follow along so that you can help to fulfill my earnest prayer, that you're checking to see if everything that I say is true and in accordance with the Scriptures as God has ordained. If you'd like to open your Bibles with me, you can be opening to Matthew chapter 20 and be turning to verse 28, where we'll start the lesson in just a moment. But before that, as has become my tradition, I would like to share just a personal story from my life to help us ease right into the, the bulk of this lesson and the impart, important part of this lesson, which is God's Word. See, after I graduated high school, which it feels like a long time, but probably for most of you guys you would scoff at that statement. It, it really hasn't been too long, just a couple years. But after I graduated high school, I live with my aunt, um, she sat me down and she had a talk with me. And she had to deliver to me some very, very harrowing, very distressing, heartbreaking news. Now that I graduated high school, now that I was out in the world, now that I was an adult, now that I was responsible, and that, that I had a call to be independent, I was going to have to do something that made me quake in my boots. Something that terrified me, something that something that I, I really just couldn't even couldn't even fathom. I was going to have to I can't even say it. I was I was gonna have to get a job. I was gonna have to work. I was gonna have to do something for someone else. And for me back then that you know, that made my head spin. You said what now? She said, but you but you'll get paid, but you get paid, but that wasn't enough to convince me. It wasn't. So I go into that summer, I do what most teenagers want to do. I Hang out with my friends. I ride around in my Camaro until it got wrecked, and uh, just you know, spend my time scrolling through Facebook. It's wasting a lot of time. It's hitting the gym every now and then, and just just spinning my wheels. And when I went into college, who would have thunk? Didn't have any cash. I, I people wanted to go and eat, and I couldn't do it. People wanted to do this or do that. Let's go play laser tag. Can uh, can you spot me? Uh, and, and, and I quickly realized, man, I should have got that job that summer. Because I looked back on the summer and I thought, done nothing with my time. I've, I've done nothing. I, I, I needed to do something. So after my freshman year, the next summer, what do you think I did? I got a job. Yeah. Um, and and it, was a, it was a humble occupation. I was, I was working as a CSR for a, a company called Censure down the, down the road down south, uh, right on the border of, of Tennessee and, and Monticello there. And basically what, I, what my job was, I was, I would say I was a public servant. I, uh, I took calls about student loans from people and helped them get from me to the next guy who's going to get them to the next guy, next guy to the next guy who's finally going to solve their problem. That was basically my job. And so I was a public servant. And I got to know that word pretty well in that job servant. Because to solve this other person's problem. Moving their, moving their stuff around. I wouldn't do anything for myself. Aside from making a paycheck. But that, that's not here nor there. 
Um, but so I got to know that word servant pretty well. But I also got to know another word, working as a as a as a public servant. You know, anybody who's had work with the public, anybody who's had to deal with people, you know this word really well as well. And that's the word suffering. Am I right? I mean, these people were anyway. Anyway, um, so I got to know those two words really well. As much as I viewed myself as a servant, okay, and as much as I viewed myself as suffering, how much more do we look at Jesus? And see that he fulfills that role of the suffering servant. How much does my occupation and the woes that I experienced in that job pale in comparison to the things that Jesus went through? How much, how much greater is Christ? How much greater is Christ's service? How much greater is his suffering? That's what we're going to be exploring in this lesson together as we look through the word of God. See, Jesus, he was God. Yes, that's true. But he was God in the flesh. He was God wrapped in, in, in a human body. Come to this earth. Why? To show us an example of what a servant looks like. You know, he traveled with several men. Uh, Peter and John were two of those men. If you look in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, you might be familiar with this verse. You can mark your place in Matthew chapter 20. Sorry I misled you. We're going to start right here actually. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. You see, Peter and John, they got to know Jesus really well. Really and a lot of Jesus rubbed off on them, so much so that the religious leaders of that time could see that influence of Jesus in them. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, you, you guys are all probably really familiar with this verse by now, thanks to Joshua. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why were they astonished? You guys could probably fill this in. Because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yes. And that is significant. Those two words, with Jesus, so significant. And I pray that we're all going to, to try, try our best to align our wills and our minds with Jesus through this lesson so that we can get to know him better, so that we can become more like him, so that we can be like Peter and John, so that when we go out into the world, people say, these are the people that turn the world upside down, that, that challenge everything that we think that we know about life, so that we can see that there is a better way. Because that's who Peter and John. You know, their opponents, the opponents of the disciples of Christ in the in the New Testament, they they used that term negatively. They turned the world upside down. We're going to find in this lesson that as Christians, we turn the world upside down in the greatest possible way. So I ask you all, if we could have walked with Jesus like Peter and John, if we could have spent time with him, if we could have, if we could have listened personally to his lessons with our own ears. What would we take away from that? Who could we who could we become if we had literally walked with Jesus? I can tell you this. I'm not going to know that physically. And we're not going to know that physically. But Christ has left us this word inspired by the Holy Spirit, by our comforter. So what we can do is we can look into this word and we can see and we can get to know Jesus the suffering servant so well. And we can let him have that positive influence on, on us. And I can't emphasize enough how much value that is. So what we see is, in Jesus, we see Jesus being a minister, being a servant. But how do we define that? You know, if we define it in the worldly sense, if I'm a public servant, like I said earlier, well, I'm working for a paycheck. But in the biblical sense, ministry isn't for a paycheck. 
It's out of a sincere love and a sincere devotion. Our calling is to have that same sincere love and that same devotion that Christ had. Be so much like Christ that people see that heart of a servant in us, not for reward, but out of that earnest love and devotion. So if we look in Matthew chapter 20, we look in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. This will leave without question the, the character of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus giving his life, that wasn't just on the cross. His whole life, everything that he ever did, was leading up to that moment and leading up to his resurrection. But he gave his entire life as devotion for God, and for us, everything he did was for the benefit of others. It was to glorify God, not himself. He served God and he served people faithfully to the end. He did nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vainglory. Christ, he served God the Father while here on earth perfectly, to a T. He committed no sin. And we see that. He served God in ways not unlike what we would do today. We read about how he was a young boy and how that he was in the temple and that he, how he was serving God there and how he was studying and he was discussing with the religious leaders of the time. And, and, and we have no doubt that Jesus worshipped God as a Jew and that he honored him in everything that he did. And so we have that example behind and we have that example now that we are reverent in our worship to God and that we're serving God. But what we also saw was that Jesus, out of his sincere love and devotion... For, for God the Father and for all of us. That he traveled far and wide to explain his will and the will of the Father for all of us to be saved. You know, there are a lot of people out there that are a lot smarter than me. I know it's a shock, but there are. And these people, these, these people specialize in different things. And there are people that specialize in kind of the, the geography of the Bible. And so I got looking and I got picking around and I, I, was, I was interested to know what the estimates were on, you know, how, how far did Jesus walk during his ministry? And there's all kinds of estimates and we don't know that for sure. But I know for one thing that even the most conservative estimates that these historians gave was in the thousands of miles. Jesus walked thousands of miles to get this message. In the, think about the climate as well, the blazing heat, the dry heat, the arid nature of that area. Of just walking and, and you know, the sun beating down on you and knowing that, how many people are going to reject you in a day? Jesus went through that. How many people do you think he spoke to daily about his will and about the will of the Father? How many people do you think that he, he, listen to me. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you for a second. How many people do you think he, he pulled aside that we don't have a record? He prayed for, for all of the people that would seek after him. We read about that in John chapter 17. You'll turn with me there. We can, see the, we can see the character of Jesus in this prayer. And I think it's really important that we understand. You know, people say, people don't, won't listen until they know how much you care about them. And I think that it's really important that we establish this. And, 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 and we all say, we know, we understand how much Jesus cares about us. But I want us to hear it. I want us to hear how much he cares. So it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy reading. But I want us to listen as though, as though we're hearing this prayer for the first time. As though we're hearing these words of Jesus. And, and personalizing it and understanding this was for me. In John chapter 17 starting in verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that have sent me, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So we know for a fact that Christ served. He had that earnest heart of a servant, because that's us here in this prayer that he prayed. And we know that Christ was congruent with his actions with this prayer that he prayed. He prayed for us to be one. He prayed for our well-being. He prayed for us to make it to heaven. This prayer is the proof of the intent of Jesus' heart to serve. This prayer was, that was for me. And that was for all of you. Christ had you and I in mind every step of the way up the hill of Calvary. Every step of the way. He washed the feet of His disciples to show that no matter who you are, even if you are the Son of God, even if you are God coated in flesh, that you are not... Exempt from the call to service and of love. So what we ought to do is we ought to follow that example. If we look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us about something very special that we've received. But again, with everything that God gives us, we're also given a charge to take good care of and to use it the right way. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For you, that's us, were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So we know we have this call. We have this call to step out in faith for our brethren. And we know that that, that when we see our brother or sister and they're in the ditch and they fall, we're we're the ones that are supposed to give them a hand and lift them up. We know that we're supposed to go out of our way. We're supposed to look for opportunities to lift each other up, to ratchet up each other's faith faith and to encourage one. And I think that's the easy part of this call to service, to be honest. Because I love you all so much, and I know that you love me. And I know that you, you'll be willing to go out of your way for me. But you know, the thing is, this call to service that we have in the Bible, it would be convenient if it, if it were just for us. But we have a call to service every, even those out in the world that are lost. We read about in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, about how there are many that are out in need, that are weak. And we need to come to their aid. Read with me here the call that we've been given. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You hear that? We're supposed to pour ourselves out at any opportunity. Not just when our brother and sister, brother or sister needs help, but at any opportunity. It says... By working hard. You listen to the intro to this lesson, you know that that, that phrase 
used to make me cringe so bad. Working hard. Oh, I don't want to do that. But this call, this call supersedes my wants. This call supersedes my schedule. This call supersedes Kane Atkins. This call supersedes every one of us. This is a call to throw ourselves to the side because there are weak people that need help. There are people that physically need help. There are people that that need our individual assistance with things like food and water and shelter and basic necessities. And and, and we're to open our doors to them. We're to open our hearts to them. But even more so, there are people who need spiritual help, who are broken by sin, who are lost out in a sin-sick world. And we're called to help those who are in need. And when we do that, when we regard those people, when we regard the weak as greater than ourselves, that, that is how we turn the world upside down. That is how we show the world that blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. That is how we do that. That is how we show the love of Christ. But we must fulfill that call to service to God and to our fellow men when it's easy and when it's hard. You know... When it's easy for me to serve, I don't think twice about it. You know, if one of you guys had asked me in the foyer after this service, he said, hey, uh, you got time after the nursing home service? I need a little help moving some of my furniture or something like that. Please, brother. I, yeah, my Lakeside family I'm so excited to even spend time with you, even if we're working, even if we're doing I love that stuff. And I know you're going to say, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. And I know you're going you're gonna to pat me on the back and all that, and it's going to make me feel good. And you're going to show gratitude. But then, what about, the, what about the, the pagan, the heathen that's out on the side of the road and their car's broken down? And I come over and I say, hey man, let me give you a jump. And they say, that's not going to do me no good. The battery's messed up. Okay, sorry man. You want me to drive with you to AutoZone to get a battery? I'll, I'll do that. Drive them to AutoZone, get the battery. And then they go, that's the wrong battery. And I have to get another battery. Finally get over to the car, replace the battery. After some toiling and trialing, I'm not good with cars, so it's going to take a minute. Man, that took forever. Just drive off. No thank you, no nothing. Well, what's my attitude there? Well, my temptation is that, forget that guy. Jerk. But instead I could say, hey man, while we're here, while we're on the side of the road, let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me talk to you about your soul. Let me put myself out there for you even more. We can do that every day when people treat us raw. We can show them love. And we can do the opposite of what people expect, of what the world does. We don't have to treat people with contempt just because they treat us with contempt. We can show them love. That's how we turn the world upside down. Because the truth is that we're going to suffer. We're going to go through these times. We're going to pull off on the side of the road, and this guy, he's going to chew us out, and he's going to give us a hard time. We're going to be trying to serve. We're going to be trying to walk as Christians. We're going to be earnest and devoted, and everything's going to be going good. And then what's going to happen? Boom, we're going to hit a brick wall. And we're going to suffer. We're going to have to endure that suffering. And what's going to be our reaction to that? You know, at first I thought, I thought Christianity was going to make my life so much easier. I thought it was going to streamline everything. I thought, now that I've obeyed the gospel, all my problems are going to just dissolve as the water just comes off my skin. And that's how I felt for so long. But then guess what? Problems, suffering. I hit bumps in the road. People mistreated me. Brethren mistreated me. People lied to me. They cheated me. I I, I did the same. I sinned. I fell into sin of myself. 
And I struggled and I was tempted and I was tried. And I faltered a lot, brethren and beloved. I tell you that. I faltered many a time and I stumbled many a time. And I'm apologetic to that. But I will tell you this. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 became my favorite passage in my early walk as a Christian. I'm still in my early walk, most of you would say, but in my very early walk as a Christian. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 through 5, it became my favorite passage because it carried me through all that suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that what? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is made evident to all of us. You can't deny it. You can't escape it no matter how far you run. If you've come to that knowledge of the truth, if you know that God loves you, that realization is always going to be somewhere in the back of your mind. And for me, that was the only thing that carried me through all the suffering, that buffeted me, that that sent me off track, that caused me to stumble, that caused me to wonder, that caused me to doubt. The remembrance of Christ and the knowledge that even though I felt completely abandoned by everyone in my life, that I was not alone, that Christ was with me, and that He suffered. He suffered just as I was suffering. To such a greater extent. And that His example was there for me. That I could go to Him. And that I could see. That I can make it through the other side. That I might fall a thousand times. But I can get up a thousand times. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. You can be turning over there. We saw how people. We saw the the character of Jesus exposed in Matthew chapter 5. But we remember how people expected something completely opposite from Him. We remember how people expected Jesus to be stalwart, to be just an unstoppable military leader, just running through army after army, conquering and conquering and conquering, and never ever showing any kind of sign of human weakness or frailty. But Jesus, Jesus showed mercy. He didn't, he didn't express his authority with an iron fist. He wasn't that kind of king. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So you see, it doesn't matter if I'm helping my brother or sister move furniture and they're saying, thank you, good job, Cain. Or if I'm helping this pagan heathen over on the street, jump their car and get another battery and get another battery and get them wherever they need to go. Either way, I have a call to serve. So people, people had trouble with this. Jesus' own brethren had trouble with this. They didn't understand. Jesus was flipping everything they knew on their head. So in John chapter 1 and verse 11, he said he came to his own, 
and his own people did not receive him. He came and he preached this message of love and of mercy. And he was not the Messiah that they wanted. He wasn't the Jesus that they wanted. He wasn't the Jesus that they were comfortable with. So that since he wasn't a mighty physical king striking down his enemies with the sword, what did they do? They rejected him. So Jesus, he suffered. He suffered rejection. And not just any rejection, not just any mistreatment, but rejection and mistreatment by his own family, by his own kin, the same people that you would expect to welcome you in with open arms. He loved them and they rejected him. He suffered that. But he came to flip the world on its head. And he showed that in Luke chapter 4. When the devil came to tempt him. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And starting in verse 5. In Luke chapter 4 and starting in verse 5. Satan said. Enthrone yourself as an earthly king. He wanted Jesus to do what these people were expecting of him. He wanted Jesus to do what the world wanted him to do. But Jesus wanted to flip the world on its head. And so in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 5, Satan's tempting Jesus to serve himself. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So he declined all these Luxuries that the earth could have to offer. He declined the highest throne on earth in favor of a cross. Why did Jesus choose that? Well, I'd like to explore that with a brief sidebar and a brief metaphor, if you would. This is sort of humorous, but just bear with me. You know, I'm a student at EKU. President Trump recently came in, flew in in a luxury jet. And people were saying... I don't even know where he's going to stay. There's not a hotel nice enough for that man in this whole town. A lot of people said, hey, he can probably just stay on his jet. It's probably nicer than any hotel in the whole state. And most of us would say, man, if I could trade places with him, if I could have all the luxuries that he could have, if I had all that money and all that power, man, I think, I think a lot of us would be tempted. I know that I would be tempted by that. I would say, if it is a really nice jet... And that was the same temptation that that Jesus was facing here in the desert, basically. But instead, he chose the life of a servant. And today, I think a close equivalent that we have is, funnily enough, servers in restaurants. You know, if you had an option of, you can have whatever secular job you wanted, your dream job. How many people are choosing, I want to be, I want to wait. There's nothing wrong if that's what you do. But how many people would choose that if they had the option? Not many, and I'll tell you why. People treat servers like garbage. They really do. They give them nine kinds of heck. They do. They put them through the ringer. Why do they do that? Well, I think it's because they know they can get away with it. Because they know that servers are constrained by their job to be kind and to be polite and to literally wait on them, to be patient with them. So, knowing that, a lot of people, they just take out all their frustration from the week on their server at the restaurant. And we see that. And they don't tip them. The service is terrible. Well, we have, a, we have a similar dynamic, don't we, as Christians? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, if 
we turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now, I'm not saying it's a tip that motivates us to serve. It's not. It's not a tip. It's not a paycheck. It's our earnest love and devotion. We're using the biblical definition of service here. But we have, we have that motivation from Christ. But if you read with me, for the love of Christ controls us. Some, some translations render this constrains us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. So, if you're a really good Christian, people know that you have the attitude that we just read about, where Jesus said, love your enemies. And so what do our enemies do if they know that we love them? They, sometimes they just keep being our enemies. They don't love us back. And they step all over us, and they put us through suffering. And so, what we ought to do is, even though that we know we're going to get hurt, we have a job to do. We have a role to do. We have a role to fulfill to accept this path of service even if we're afraid of getting hurt. Even if we're afraid that so-and-so is going to snap at us. Even if we're afraid that so-and-so is not going to receive the word very well. Because the same Jesus that people expected to wear this, this crown of gold and have this flowing robe and this scepter, this Jesus that they wanted, the iron fist Jesus, the, the mighty emperor, they wanted the, this Jesus to come and to take away all their problems, all the here and now problems on earth. That's, what, that's the Jesus they wanted to see. But instead, what they saw was a man who was crowned with thorns. A man who was wrapped in a ragged piece of fabric, hanging on a cross. A servant. A suffering servant. They saw the man that's described in Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. Which if you'll go ahead and turn with me over there to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. And again, this is a long read. But if you are awake for this text, it will slap you upside the head. But you gotta, you got to bear with me here as we read this. This, is, this text is this na- the namesake of this entire sermon. It's often referred to colloquially as the suffering servant's song. And it is a prophecy foretelling the Christ's coming. Let's read together, starting in, in verse uh, chapter 52 and then in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. In his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and for that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land for the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him with a portion of the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. If you were awake for that, if you endured the reading of it, I hate that I even have to say that. Anytime we start reading a long passage of Scripture, I see people start. This is so heavy. This is so profound. We have to understand that this passage, thousands of years before Jesus came, prophesied our very actions, our personal and our individual sin, that we were the ones, proverbially, standing at Jesus' trial yelling, crucify Him. Saying, put our sin on Him. Let Him bear our sin. Break Him. Crush Him. And still, He served. And still, He suffered every step of the way up the hill of Calvary for you and for me, the same people who made Him walk up that hill. Now, if you were awake for that, that should break your heart. And has it ever occurred to you, when we read passages like this, this hit me the other day. We talked about how Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. He washed Peter's feet, he washed John's feet, the same men we were talking about, all these men that we think of as giants of faith. And we put ourselves in, our, in those, their position and it humbles us. We think, man, these were imperfect people, we're imperfect people, we're trying to serve God, He, he is serving us. He's taking care of us. And and He owes us nothing. But then you think about this, and this is what hit me. Jesus, He washed all of their feet. You know what I mean when I say that? Judas was there. He washed Judas' feet too. And Judas looked down and he saw Jesus the Christ washing His feet, knowing full well that He intended to betray Him. Knowing full well that His heart wasn't right. And I know full well when I read that passage that I was in those shoes. And that any time that I sin, that I'm in those shoes. And that breaks my heart. You know, there's, there's no greater act of service than what Jesus did for us. When we mistreated Him, when we treated Him with contempt, He gave everything. He gave His life for us. Greater love hath no man than to lay down His life for His friends. And that's what we've received. So the suffering of Christ has left us with no excuse not to serve and not to suffer. Yes, Christ was God in the flesh. But Christ was also a man. He was 100% divine, but He was 100% human. And He felt every suffering that you could imagine. And He did this. He lived this out. He served and He suffered For us to leave us this example. And we cannot squander it. 
We must apply His example to our lives more and more and be encouraged by it and not make petty excuses and not give ourselves justification and reasons not to live as Christ lived. And one of the most common ridiculous excuses that I've heard is that, well, Jesus was God and I'm not. I'm weak, so I can't. And so they almost just throw everything to the wind with that one. That's sickening. Because when you do that, you've discredited what Christ did. When you do that, you've discredited what Paul did. Let me take away that excuse right now. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, we've got no doubt in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17 that the writer of Galatians, Paul the Apostle, was 0% divine. He was not God. He was a man. And what did he say? From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What did this mean? This meant Paul was covered in bruises and scars and so much damage. Imagine the, the, the internal and emotional damage that he'd received. Imagine the suffering that Paul felt being 100% human and 0% divine. But he said, nobody can cause me any trouble. Nobody can beset me. Because I have the marks of Jesus on me. Where's your marks? Where's, the, where's your suffering? We need to ratchet it up. We can be better than we are. We can't sit in this sermon and think, yeah, everybody else needs to definitely be more of a servant. Everybody else needs to get out there on the line for Jesus a little bit more. This is every single one of you. This is me. We are all guilty at times of not doing the right thing. I think a lot of us go a long time without sinning and we're like, man, I broke my record. Like I've gone like a whole week without sinning. But we forget that not doing the right thing is still sinful. So we see Paul and we see how he hustles and we see how he puts it all out on the line. And I fear, I fear for myself, I fear for all of us that we just get comfortable and we get in a pattern and we get in a rut and we're here in modern day America and we're blessed so much, so much that we couldn't even count them all. And that when, when I look in the mirror, I wonder if under different circumstances, if I would be able to keep this faith. If I would really be able to stand up for Jesus, if I was under threat of imprisonment, if I was under threat of beatings out in the street like Paul was. I honestly look at myself and I wonder that all the time. I wonder if, if me standing before you all right now could cause me to be carted off into the parking lot, bent over a Roman pedestal and given lash after lash, walked up a hill and crucified. I wonder if I would have the courage to still preach this to you all. And I'd like to think so, but sometimes I don't know. And I want that. I want that courage. And I want the heart that Jesus had. I want the heart of a servant. And the real heart that Jesus had, the real heart of a servant, doesn't shy away from suffering and doesn't make excuses. So what I must do, I must constantly be evaluating. How am I putting myself on the line for God? I want us, I, And I want this to happen. I know, th- I know that this is extracurricular. I know that this is homework. But I want you guys to do this. I'm going to do the same thing. I want you all to go home. And I want you to get a list, a piece of paper. And I want you to write down all the things that you do for God. All the things that you do for God. All the things that you do for your brethren. All the ways in which you can think of that you can be a servant. And if you look at that list. 
And if you feel like it's lacking anything, then I want you to add that to that list. And I, and I want you to go out and I want you to do those things. I want you to apply those things. Because we can be better. Every day we can be better. We're good. But we can be better. Every day. I look at my sin. And I know that I have it. I know that there are things that won't show up on my list. That's going to show up on other people's list. That won't show up on their list and vice versa. I know that. But what I'm saying is, I have to look at my sin. And I have to see Paul's wounds. I have to see Christ's suffering. I have to see the saints that came before me. I have to see the example that they've left. And I have to do Matthew 16, 24. Y'all have been sitting here waiting this whole sermon for some practical application. And I'm about to hit you with it all right now. We've been building up to this right now. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. You can pull so much out of this verse, and I'm just going to scratch the surface. Matthew 16, 24, what does it say? We all know it very well. I must deny myself. I must take up the cross and follow after Christ. If, if I wish to be a follower of Christ, that's what I must do. Now, when we look at this verse that we've read over and over and over again, i got to ask you, what does that verse mean to you? What does that verse mean to you when you read that? Do you think that that means going out of your way sometimes? Pulling off on the side of the road to help the guy whose cars broke down? Do you think that that means dealing with some coworkers or some people in our lives that aggravate us, family members, etc.? No. If you take that, if you take that passage and you minimize it to, to those type things alone, you are missing the point so bad of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. And I did for a long time. Matthew 16, 24, it doesn't mean just dealing with people that aggravate us and going out of our way. No. That means having the heart of a servant even to death on a cross. That means holding within us the character and the attitude of a servant. It means we're not going to ask questions. We're going to have to ask questions like, do I have to come to church? Do I have to be there on Wednesday night? Do I have to be there for Bible class? Do I have to come to church? That's going to mean that if we can be here by any means, we're going to be here. And we're not going to let these stupid excuses get in the way. Foolishness. It means we aren't just going to pray to God inside these four walls. It means that we're going to have an active prayer life. We're going to be talking with God. We're going to be communicating our fears and our doubts and we're going to be constantly depending on him and going to him in prayer in our own life of our own volition and free will not just when we're gathered around about to eat dinner together oh i guess let's say a prayer when just anytime you have a moment it means that that we're not going to shrug at the suffering of our brothers and sisters in christ or of those that are out in the world but that we're going to be constantly holding the posture of come unto me i will help you it means we're not going to shy away from opportunities to share the gospel with others, for the people that we love, for the people that we see out in the world, that we're not going to shy away from those opportunities, that we're not going to be scared, that we're going to live congruent with the gospel, and that we're not going to shut up about it until they kill us, or until we die. And that's the way that we ought to live. It means, Matthew 16, 24, it means that we're going to be obedient to God in Christ no matter what comes our way. It means that we're not just going to do the things that he asked. We're not just going to fulfill a, a list of commands. But that we're going to love God so much 
that we're willing to give up everything that we are in exchange for His will. And in doing that, what we do is we take this wicked world that says me first, that says love yourself first, that says take care of yourself first, and we flip it completely on its head just like Christ wants us to do. And we show people the love that we ought to have. But what we have to do is we have to bear that cross. That's the cross that we have to bear. Not putting up with an annoying coworker, not going slightly out of our way, but living the will of God so hard and with such intensity and such ferocity and such passion that not even death can stop us. That's what it means to bear the cross. So what we ought to do is we ought to look at our lives. We ought to look in the mirror and we ought to honestly evaluate ourselves and say, as a Christian, am I bearing my cross? Am I trying? Am I giving my all? Am I growing as a Christian? Am I fighting this fight? Or am I half-hearted? Am I limp-wristed? Have I given up? Am I making excuses? If I compare myself with, with the giants of faith, how do I stack up? We look and we see so much sin that needs to be repented of. We need to do that. If we see so many things left undone, we need to do those things. And as I'm closing now, I'm saying, now's your time to come forward if you're if you're a brother or sister in Christ and you need encouragement. But it might be that you you never even picked up the cross. It might actually be that you see Jesus Christ. You might see the suffering servant. You might see the man who gave his life for you, who was pierced for your transgression. And you might be standing in the crowd yelling, Crucify Him! Is that you? If it is, now's your time to come forward as we stand and as we sing.